we have come to the final installment in our Dog Days of Summer uh, series. And we're going to end with uh, taking a look at uh, dog bites and what that means for us in terms of uh, the emotional wounds that we receive in the course of life. And I want to uh, sort of invite you in, not sort of, but I do want to invite you in to Psalm 38. Uh, This is an amazing articulation of our human condition. As uh, David expresses what he's going through in, in poetic fashion, quite literally, actually, Um, he gives voice to what I would call the the universal cry of the human soul or the human heart. This is all of us at some point or another in the course of life. And I just want you to hear these words not just as David's words, but as your own words, as these words give voice to what it means to be human and what it means to be uh, hurt. So Psalm 38, I'm just going to read uh, the whole thing. And uh, I'll, just, I'll just tell you this. I was, I was looking at this, at this sermon for this week. And I probably had four or five different passages on, on healing and woundedness in mind. And I came across this and I just stopped and I went, wow, this is amazingly articulate. And, and so we're just going to sit in Psalm 38 uh, this week. You might even say that this, this message is more about uh, emotional honesty than it is actual healing. But, but it brings us to the point where healing can occur. You'll see what I mean. Um, so follow along with me in Psalm 38 as David articulates the core of what it means to be wounded as a human heart. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. And the light of my eyes... It has also gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, 
and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. I'm sorry, mediate, no, meditate, that was right. But I am like a deaf man, I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fail, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin, but my foes are vigorous, they are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully, those who render me evil for good, accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. So, my first um, job in ministry was at a church in our denomination in Houston. And it's a, it's a great church. It's um, got some amazing people there. And uh, I was called to be their director of youth ministries. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. Had no clue. And I do remember thinking on my, when I accepted the job and went in uh, you know, for my interview, or came out of my interview and they offered me the job, I remembered thinking, this is going to be great. This is going to be great because everybody's a Christian and everybody's going to be kind and there'll be just like, you know, peaceful kumbaya kind of work environment and it'll just be, it'll be fun. It'll be, there won't be any politics. There won't be any competitive kind of edge to things. This is going to be great. It's going to be great. And, uh, Oh, I would say within two or three months. Um, no, that's not true. Give myself a little more. The honeymoon was a little bit longer than that. But within, within less than a year, uh, there was a, a small contingency of parents who had called a meeting with my boss behind my back. I didn't know what was going on. And... They basically, just to put it biblically, were asking for my head on a platter, right? Um, no big deal. We just want his head on a platter. That's all. No big deal. Yeah, it's, it's biblical. It's a biblical request. It's right here in the Bible. Um, and uh, I remember walking into my boss's office uh, probably about a day before that meeting occurred. And again, I had no clue uh, what was going on. Um, and I just walked in and I, I kind of plopped down in the chair in front of his desk and I just, I was completely exasperated and I just said, I have no idea what I'm doing. 
I can't, I can't make this thing work. Like everything I try flops and nobody responds and I'll, you know, try to get a group together to do this and they all want to do that. And I'm terrible at this. And he looked at me and, uh, he just said, um, yeah, you are. And I'm so glad that you came to me to say that. Um, and he said, uh, are, you, are you willing to listen? I said, yeah. Are you willing to learn? I said, of course. It's okay. I can work with that. Uh, I, don't, I don't need perfection. I just need willingness. So, you know, let's talk. And we began to meet and, and kind of I began to understand what what it was that I was doing, um, and uh, uh, he actually did meet with those parents, and he basically told them that, you know, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna give him a shot. We're gonna, you know, he needs to, he needs some more time to get his footing, and you know, whatever. And uh, that didn't satisfy a couple of them, but the majority of the folks that were there said, okay. All right, we'll give him some more time. You're on it. You've got a plan. Let the boy grow. We get it, you know. Um, One of those individuals, maybe two, to be fair, um, never really relented in their resolution to see me gone. Right? So they agreed with my boss, okay, we're going to give him some time, but they did not say we're going to be nice to him, we're going to like the fact that we have to give him some time, we're going to go easy on the poor kid. They didn't say any of that stuff. Right? And I still had no clue who they were or that they had this sort of vendetta. Um, and so I was constantly frustrated in some aspects. Things did get better in terms of what I might call the mechanics of youth ministry. Um, but uh, I, never, I never got the feeling that I had the full support of some of the parents. In fact, I got quite the opposite feeling that, you know, some of them were out to get me. And, uh, you know, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that somebody's not out to get you. It's important to remember. Did you catch that? You mean to say it again? Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that somebody's not out to get you. Okay. So, I, I remember nights, I was single at the time, and I just remember nights sitting up going God what is wrong with me what what is wrong with me what am I doing wrong what is going on and why are you making this so difficult right um and the contrast between that that first day and oh this is going to be so skippy happy go lucky 
um, and those later days of just anguish. And, uh, you know, and so I, I read... I read David's words here, and I hear, I hear myself. I hear the anguish. I hear, um, well, okay. Let me start with this um, extraction from this psalm. That we, as God's children, need to be honest about the extent of our pain, our emotional pain, we tend to minimize pain, most of us. We tend to say, oh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Um, I'll be okay. Uh, there's any, I mean, we could go on with things that we say to just sort of dismiss the pain that we really do feel. And David, amazingly, um, he doesn't do that. He comes right out, like, full tilt. This is how bad it is. Um, okay. So David shows us that an emotional wound can, be, uh, can have several dimensions. It, it can be physically crippling, he expresses this uh, in verses 6 and 7. I'm utterly bowed down. Um, my sides are filled with burning, verse 7. There is no soundness in my flesh. Uh, he comes back to that idea in verse 17. Um, I'm ready to fail and my pain is ever before me. This just crippling emotional pain um, Emotional pain is draining. Verses 8 through 10 express this evaporation of strength that can come with emotional pain, particularly when uh, it's unresolved. Um, he goes on to uh, point out the isolating nature of emotional pain. So, I once we once had a, a visitor come to Hope, who was really going through um, a lot as an individual at this point in his life. And I remember seeing him when he came in, and he looked he looked like um, something out of a horror movie, right? Just the emotional shroud of pain was on this guy. His face was contorted. His head was down. He sulked in. He sat down. And uh, I called him the day after the service. And I said, you know, how are you doing? Because he'd left his name and number, and he'd, I think he'd said, please call. And so I called him. And uh, I said, you look kind of distraught yesterday. Are you all right? He goes, do you know that I went to your church and nobody even said hello to me? And I was surprised, right? So I've been here, I don't know, 
15, almost 15 years now, that's the only person who's ever said that, right? Um, that I know of. Uh, and so we, we unpack that a little bit, and I talk to him a little bit, and I apologize. I said, I'm terribly sorry. That's not like us. You know, we're, we're actually kind of friendly, and uh, I'm sorry that happened. Um, we got to talking a little bit more, and he started telling me some of the things that were going on in his life. And, uh, and I realized something, that he, he was in so much pain that he was just radiating from his being, don't come near me. <laughs> you, you will be miserable if you catch any of what I've got. And he was just sort of um, projecting his pain on, you know, just to anybody who might be around him. And like any normal human being, we all kind of stayed away from him, right? My point is not that you're a bad church. You're a great church. I love you, and you do a great job of greeting people and connecting with people. That's not the point. But sometimes our, our pain is so pronounced, our emotional pain, that it just causes other people to go, ooh, yee, that's, that, I don't know that I want to step into that right now. And David articulates that powerfully in these words, in these verses, just that our pain can be so extreme that it just literally pushes us away from other people in our lives, and it, it's very isolating. And that's a a painful cycle to be in because what are we tempted to say when we're in pain? No one cares. And then we project this, this aura of discomfort and people don't push through it and we go, see? No one cares. Right? Um, I think that, you know, that's, it's a good reminder as we, as we see these words that when we encounter other people in our lives who are uh, exuding that emotional discomfort and pain, that we do push through, right? That, that we move toward that and not away from it, that we develop an instinct other than our natural human instinct, and we learn to move toward that kind of pain. But for now, let's just acknowledge that emotional pain can be crippling, draining, isolating and paralyzing. David's like, I can't even speak. It's so bad. And, and when, I, when someone says something to me, all I hear is that background voice from the Peanuts cartoons. Do you remember that? And we can't even hear what other people are saying because we're just twisted into our own uh, discomfort. Um, you know, one of those, uh, one of those parents that was so mad at me or so out to get me or so it felt anyway, um, their high school aged son was going through a very rebellious period in his life. And uh, our church was a church plant, and shortly after we got started, um, the church that had planted our church, uh, if you want to put it that way, it's a longer story than that, but um, the youth groups then 
separated into the old church's youth group and the new church's youth group. And several of his friends went, stayed at the old church, and he just kind of quit coming to youth group about the time I started. And his parents, rightly or wrongly, associated that with me. And then he entered into this fairly rebellious period in his life, and uh, at least for them it was rebellious. Uh, And she was unhappy with me. She felt like this was my, or that I played a, a significant part in sort of pushing this kid away from God. And uh, I'll just say this. It would have been great if she had been able to come to me and say, this is what's going on. And I'm just, I'm devastated by it. And I don't know if you can reach out to my son or if, if, if he just doesn't like you or what's going on but if you you know if she could have been honest with her emotional pain then maybe we could have come together and I could have you know realized what was going on in her heart and in her life and stepped into her anguish and and at least ministered to her um but we don't natively naturally know how to be honest in our pain. Somehow, David got this. And he was just able to say, this is how bad it is. Um, We don't normally do that, but here it is in front of us as a calling, that we be honest about the extent of our pain. Um, David also points out we need to be clear about the source of our pain. Um, he sort of points to uh, three different um, causes, if you will, or sources of emotional pain. I love how he begins the psalm. This is just right out, uh, stick your finger in God's face and go, hey, what are you doing? Right? And I don't know about you, but I've been there. Right? And I think at some point or another in life, we all get to this place where we look up and go dude what are you doing what is the point why are you putting me through this Um, your arrows have sunk into me verse 2 and your hand has come down on me there is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation Um, God can be the source of our emotional pain. And there are multiple sides to this truth. I'll say this. God is not trying to punish you for anything. Okay? He he doesn't hate you. He's not out to get you. Um, He actually loves you. But at the same time, he, he is opposed to our sin, to our selfishness, to our sinfulness, if you will. And so I I was talking to a woman uh, on Friday, um, and uh, she goes to a church out in Kerrville, and we were at a a Wounded Warriors thing out at Craig Russell's place, and um, her church had hosted lunch for this group from 
uh, SAMHSA. Anyway, um, uh, you know, she was, I asked her, you know, how'd you get involved with this? And she was telling me some of the history and she's just like, it's been amazing. God just keeps opening doors. And, and I said, well, that's, that's what he does. She goes, oh, he can shut them. <laughs> yes, he can. Yes, he can. Um, it was just a, a, an interesting little moment where this, she was probably in her sixties and, and, uh, she just nailed it. He's like, oh, he's not just about the good stuff. You know, he'll stop you in your tracks when he, when he wants to. And uh, it was a good little, you know, moment, right? She was spot on, correct. Um, but we need to keep in mind, he, he's not out to get us. He's simply opposed to our sin, not our well-being, He's actually for our well-being in terms of dealing with our sin and rooting out our problems. Um, so David says, okay, God, what are you doing? And then he's like very quickly, he, even in the same verse that he's sort of pointing at God in verse 3, he turns and says, uh, yeah, there's no health in my bones because of my sin. I, I I'm part of this too. You know, you're up to something. I'm up to something. So God can be the source of emotional pain sometimes, and we ourselves can be uh, part of the source of our emotional pain. Um, David even mentions his own foolishness in this psalm. Um, You know, we can be, we have an amazing ability to be our own worst enemies, right? Um, I'm usually my biggest critic uh, and I'm not always healthy about the way that I criticize myself, right? In fact, if you heard some of the things that I said to myself, you would say, don't say that. That's not okay. Stop doing that, right? And we all probably have similar tendencies. Um, We can be our biggest enemies, uh, and we do have some sick ways of making things worse when life hurts. Um, I'm going to just take you to verse 5 for a second. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. What is that? Um, he's not talking about physical battle wounds. He's talking about emotional wounds. Um, They stink and fester because of our foolishness, because we don't acknowledge uh, the extent of the pain. We don't deal with the pain. We don't acknowledge the source of the pain. We just bury it and keep going. Um, I I don't watch this show uh, with any regularity at all, um, but I, I caught an episode of The Simpsons several years ago, and there was some... Uh, there was some uncle in the family who had hurt, what's the girl's name, Lisa? Lisa Simpson, is that her name, the little girl? Okay. Um, and he had, he had hurt her feelings, and she went and talked to her mom about it, and her mom just goes, honey, um, we don't talk about those things. We just take them and we stuff them deep, deep down inside ourselves and just try to forget about them. 
And so, you want some ice cream? You know, and it was just such a great articulation of everything that's wrong with us and the way we respond to our emotional pain. Um, And our wounds fester and stink because of our own foolishness, our own unwillingness to really uh, honestly and clearly deal with our pain. So there's God that can be at work in in bringing about uh, emotional pain. There's ourselves and the interplay between the two. And then, of course, there's others. We'll just leave that very general. Um, I thought about putting some names in that blank instead, but but just put others, please. Um, But uh, you will always face opposition in this world. Always. Um, You know, it took me a while to get to the point where I understood this, this woman who was out to get me in my first job in ministry, and, I, and, and a few years go by, and I understand, you know, her kid was out of control, and she was panicked. And that's a terrible place to be. It's a terrible place to live. It's a terrible um, reality at that time in her life. And I'm happy to say her son's doing great. He came around, and he's a good kid, and um, uh, everybody's, you know, she's got a bunch of grandkids, and I'm pretty sure she's really happy right now. So, um, but my point is that um, there's always something going on in somebody else's life that's driving them to do things that are frustrating to others. And that's just part of living here. It's part of this torqued world in which we live. Um, But, you know, David goes so far as to say that he knows that he's doing God's will, that's his, he's doing good, and he's getting a lot of opposition. Uh, we will always face opposition. Sometimes that opposition is, is good because we're not going the right way. We're not uh, carrying out God's will. And those who oppose us in those times are our friends. Um, and then there are those times when we are doing what's good and right and true, and we get opposition from a variety of sources. Um, okay. David says, be honest about the extent of our pain. Be clear about the source of our pain. And be healthy in our response to our pain. Verse 15. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. We are to wait on God's timing uh, when life hurts. Our temptation is to say, this is painful. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to stop the pain now. And we take matters into our own hands, and then we usually make the situation a lot worse. Um, God says, wait on me. Wait in my timing and turn to my face. Um, Okay. We're to wait. 
we are to repent where necessary. David stops almost mid-sentence and um, just throws out there, I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. He recognizes his part in everything that's going on in his life. And he stops and gives that to God. He says, I will wait for you. I will repent before you. And I will trust in you alone. And that's ultimately the place we want to end up, is is right where David stops. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. And he essentially ends with a very abrupt realization that salvation comes from God alone. That whether we're talking about our ultimate salvation or our saving from a temporary painful circumstance, it is our God who comes and saves. That is actually his name. That's what Jesus means. It means God saves. That's the literal translation of his name. And so, in a, in a way, David invokes the name of Christ at the, in the final word of this psalm. He says, here it all is, God. Here's all of it. Here's my pain. Here's my anguish. Here's everything I can identify. And I lay it all out before Jesus. And, of course, Jesus didn't come around for another thousand years after this was written. But David saw him. He saw the hope that God sets before us in Christ uh, from a distance through the fog without being able to fully articulate it. He knew it was there. And he reminds us all that no matter how difficult or painful life becomes, there stands before us hope eternal salvation through Jesus Christ where we find peace and rest and healing for our souls. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we are amazed at your word that you uh, know us better than we know ourselves. Lord, uh, I am rarely able to be this honest um, with myself or with you or with those who I love. I thank you for the challenge that these words set before me, that when life wounds, I am to be honest with you. I am to be clear about where that came from and what's going on and what your will is in the midst of it. And ultimately, Lord, you want me to find health and healing through your son, Jesus Christ, through his love, through his blood, through his wounds. Father, we thank you uh, for such a gift, for sending us one who knows what it means to be wounded, to be forsaken and alone. And we thank you for his perseverance beyond even the grave to redeem those who are so in need of his grace. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. 
and lead us into lives that are emotionally honest and free in your presence and lead us continually into the salvation that is ours in Christ. In his name we pray, amen.